Welcome back to MarTech Interviews. Hey, uh, so everybody has this problem. We have all of these disparate systems that are all trying to talk to each other in real time. And then we go roll out another program and we have bad data in it that makes bad decisions or bad communications with clients. What is the latest technology that's bringing that all together that is just going through mass adoption in the MarTech space right now? We're gonna be talking about it today on MarTech Interviews. This is MarTech Interviews, a podcast from DK New Media, publishers of MarTech, the leading publication for sales and marketing professionals to research, discover, and learn how technology is driving business results. Your host is Douglas Carr. Shout out to this week's sponsor, Products Up. Uh, if you're running an online shop, part of your strategy has to be syndicating and distributing your product feeds to marketing and shopping channels across the web. The challenge, of course, is that many destination sites require their own proprietary feed layouts. So you can spend countless hours tweaking and troubleshooting your feeds as well as optimizing the products you want for each channel. ProductsUp is a powerful product data management platform that enables online businesses to gain control, save time, and improve performance. Uh, their platform is utilized by companies like HP, Ikea, Trivago, American Eagle Outfitters, Rakuten, and more. Uh, visit productsup.io and request a demo. There's actually a great explainer video online as well uh, that talks about all that they do. But if you're a marketer in the e-commerce space and you are drowning under the development costs and, and issues associated with your product feeds, you're gonna wanna check out this product, productsup.io. Well, welcome back everybody and uh, thank you for joining the show. Uh, I'm always enthused when I get people in the studio. Uh, I, I think the interviews are actually better that way. I like doing the online thing and everything, but you don't get to look at someone and shake their hand and everything else. So welcome aboard. Uh, today I have Bob Bainline in. Uh, Bob is the CEO of Quick Pivot. Welcome, Bob. It's great to be here, Doug. And uh, yeah, I like being here as well to see your beautiful studio. So thank you for inviting me. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That's awesome. And uh, I'm going to tease a little bit to everybody. So um, we actually identified a long time ago uh, on MarTech blog um, through, I, I forget who did the survey, but one of the huge issues in our industry is that marketers are spending way too much time moving data mm -hmm. uh, and that's really stopping them from executing and, and, and utilizing their God-given talent, which is creativity and, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and supporting their sales team and everything. So today we're going to be talking about CDPs. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't heard that term, uh, I hope I hope you have. Uh, well, call Bob if you haven't heard that term, right, Bob? Yeah, the customer data platform. <laughs> exactly. That's the new three-letter acronym. Yeah, and and uh, for everybody uh, listening, how do you define a customer data platform? Yeah, so a customer data platform is a single source of the truth for your customer data. Nice. It's one place where you can get everything, one place you can go and you can count on that's managed and available by marketers. That's fantastic. And, and Quick Pivot, talk about Quick Pivot a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our company has been around for about 15 years. Uh, we started as a professional services company. And awesome. we were solving problems in marketing with our, our team, working with some really big clients, learning a lot, a lot about how marketing works and how technologies work. 
And over the years, that expertise has transitioned into our ability to build products. So about four years ago, we started building a product, a product to collect data. And then we built another product, a product to develop customer journeys. And we developed a third product, a, a, a product to really deliver that data to different types of consumers and businesses to be able to get responses. And we said, you know what? We're using all of our knowledge that we've gathered as professionals and we're building products. And we pivoted to a software company. That's and that's awesome. when we became Quick Pivot, the software company. I, you know, I, I, I have just incredible respect for that uh, because a lot of the software as a service companies that I gravitate towards were born out mm -hmm. of that internal process. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I really, I, there's one thing to build a product that feeds a problem, but there's another one when you're embedded in the problem, right. Working with it every day and working with clients every day that really, I think, you know, kind of transforms, you know, the solution because your services depended on how great mm -hmm. the product was, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. We got firsthand knowledge of what works and what doesn't work. And after having years of that knowledge, we were able to take a step back and say, this is how a platform should be built. Yeah. This is how you should manage customer data. So it's really served us well. That's fantastic. And, and for people listening, this is a tough problem. Mm. Because if you have, you know, obviously most companies, even tiny companies have multiple sources of customer data right now. Well, and it's growing, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, we continue to outpace our development of data by a factor of two every year. Wow. In fact, Gartner predicts by 2024, each of us will have not one, but six intelligent devices that are ascribed to us, that are attributable to us. And if you think about it, that's six more sources of data, yeah. not just your cell phone, but your car, your watch, you know, your different wearables that you have. They're also going to be, they're all going to be streaming information to consumers and to brands, and it just makes the job of collecting and harnessing that data more challenging. But yeah. it also provides more opportunity as well. And in, in the early days, five years ago, mm, right. <laughs> like the 20-teens, I remember those, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's the, the, you know, and, and probably a majority of companies, I'm guessing, are still doing it nowadays. You would sync, right? Mm. You would pull exports from this one, sync it to that one. And then the syncs became automated. Mm -hmm. But with that flow of information that you're talking about with a multitude mm -hmm. of devices and, and solutions, this is real-time, nonstop communication, right? It, it, it's constant. And what we find is that the syncing works up to the point where it doesn't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> you know, if you've got two or three systems, yeah, you can synchronize data yeah. and, and keep everything relatively homogenous. But when you start talking 17 systems or more, yeah. which is not uncommon these days. It's really, really challenging for a marketer to be able to pull that together and figure out what's really the version of the truth. What are my customers doing? And in some ways, it's almost impossible, for example, to figure out, hey, I probably don't want to market to this guy because he just returned the product last week, but you don't have access to that customer support data. Right. So it, it's, it's constantly moving target and it makes it a challenge for the marketer. That's a great example. Do you think, is it computational power and bandwidth what what's exploded cdps that they're just you know it's becoming a it's becoming almost a requirement of the martech stack now yeah well when i look at it um martech has kind of created this problem and if you think about it the martech landscape if you go back a dozen years it kind of looked like europe in the 1500s yeah it was <laughs> a bunch of city states right and they each had their own language. They each had their own currency. They had their own social faux pas. Yeah. Everything was different. They, their food was different. And so it was very difficult for them to amass any scale because there were so many differences, which is why we 
didn't have city-states. They effectively became countries and nation-states. And that's how the MarTech landscape evolved. We've populated so many disparate marketing stacks that we've sharded the customer data 10 ways from Sunday. And having all those different views of data made it even more challenging for the marketer to really figure out how do I get what's really my customer wants and needs because they've got to bring that together. Yeah, and and obviously, um, and we're going to talk about you know the benefits, and we've we've touched on those a little bit, right? Um, obviously, having a centralized mm. database that has a wholesale view of the customer, mm-hmm. but a CDP isn't just a place to hold data, right? No, no, it's the, that's the start, right? Yeah. You have to collect data, you have to clean data, you have to have a a single version of the truth. But really, a CDP is what it does once you get that data on top of there. Right. You know what? What can you? What can you do in terms of business value, and how can you make marketing fun again? Right. I mean, that's what we're really about. I mean, if you think about it, most of our customers that are marketers, they're pulling their hair out because right. they're working on cleaning data and wrangling data and pulling information together to make it meaningful, as opposed to working on the fun stuff, which is marketing strategy. Yeah, and which is where they're. ROI is. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's that's how you get the return. It's not by collecting and massaging data. It's coming up with ideas that are going to get you to buy yeah, something. Yeah, I, d- I don't think any marketing degree is about exports and imports. Sadly, no. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> well, what are some of the other benefits that your customers are seeing with, with uh, Quick Pivot? Insights. Um, you know, as I, I talk to my customers about what's challenging them, um, they say they're drowning. And I say, what do you mean you're drowning? Well, we're drowning in data but we're thirsting for insights. Yeah. Meaning they have a lot of information at their hands, but because it's not in a, a way that is easily analyzable, it makes it difficult to figure out who has a propensity for a certain offer or which subsets or which personas are most likely to be able to uh, have a greater lifetime value if we take them down a certain journey or a certain path. It's really difficult to get those analytics in there. Um, so one of the key benefits of having a customer data platform is the ability to analyze your data and to do analytics on that data. And that's what customers basically say, hey, Bob, you know, we just need to do a better job marketing. But to start, we need to pull our data together. Yeah, I, I, it, it makes me reminisce of, uh, you know, way back in the day, I was a database marketer and mm-hmm. working with direct mail and everything. And often, you know, the systems just weren't complex enough. And so what we would get is kind of this, wholesale average customer look. Mm-hmm. And the average customer look, the problem was is that most of the truths, if you will, um, really lied in the segments. Mm-hmm. You know, that it might be, you know, let's say if I'm, I'm selling a newspaper, you know, um, my average customer would be, whatever, 65 years old, right? And uh, and they lived at their house for 20 years and this and that. But what it, what it totally missed was you know, the, um, the, the wealthy young person that was antique shopping Mm -hmm. or, you know, or, and I'm just making that up out of the blue, but, but there was these pockets of data that we could absolutely have done a better job at marketing to, but we didn't have a system that was easily queryable, queryable, or, you know, a, a, a bolt-in with Tableau or whatever, where mm-hmm. we could actually look at those segments and slice and dice the data easily and quickly. Mm-hmm. It would take months sometimes for us to run a report. Well, making data easy is a key at- attribute of a customer data platform. And and you're absolutely right. The data needs to be analyzed, right? Yeah. I mean, if you were looking at a first-generation system and you might want to ask yourself, who amongst all my audience members like to play golf? What's the average age? 
and it might be 40, let's say. So you say, okay, the 40-year-old is my average golfer, so I'm going to market only to 40-year-olds. You know, that's my, my trend. But what you might miss is that really there's a bimodal distribution. You have a lot of 20-year-olds that are in college, high school, where you have time to play golf. Yeah. You don't have a job yet, right? So you can take time out to play golf and enjoy it. And then you have a lot of 60-year-olds that you're either retired or almost retired, so you can actually get out and play golf a lot. Right. So maybe those are the two populations. But because you don't have ability to see those populations, you start marketing the 40-year-olds as opposed to looking at 60-year-olds as one classification and 20-year-olds as a different it's classification. Perfect example. And that's where data by itself doesn't do the answer, but you have to analyze the data, get visualizations, and you can only do that if you have a customer data platform. Right. Absolutely. Um, can you talk a little bit about the industries that you're serving and mm -hmm. and who's really, uh, I'd, I'd love examples of just who's kicking butt with utilizing their CDP. Yeah. So um, one example, a great company, great brand, company called Allen Edmonds. Um, and Allen Edmonds is a, a relatively new company, um, high-end men's shoes and fashion, shoes, belts, leatherware, bags, the, and the like. Uh, they have physical stores, and those physical stores are located in urban areas, New York, Manhattan, Boston, San Francisco, other places. Uh, they also have a catalog, um, and they have a, a fledgling internet presence, which is growing very rapidly. Um, but as they had these three channels, they established a combination of direct mail, uh, digital marketing combined with stores and, and brand awareness. It was difficult for them to understand the interactions between the three. Sure. Um, now, once they started harnessing all the transactions that took place with their customers, who visited a store was a result of a, a campaign or digital mail or a, or a physical mail. Um, when they visited a store, were they then a likely consumer of products on the website? You know, after they visited the store, they were able to make some conclusions that allowed them to implement some marketing that allowed them to grow about 35% within 18 months. That's incredible. And it's because they had that insight. You know, yeah. prior to having the insight, they were just kind of batch and blast and marketing to everybody independently because the ability to tease out those trends by channels was hidden. It was hidden under this layer of data yeah. without having a customer data platform. You know, it's, it, I, I think that's a great example too because it talks about the, um, the variable of customer behavior as well that, you know, um, I'm one of those shoppers that if I'm going on a trip, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I wait to the last minute, you know, and so I run into the retail outlet, mm -hmm. buy a couple of nice shirts, walk out, and I'm ready for my trip. But most of the time, uh, I get the catalog in the mail, I see the sale or whatever, and I throw a couple on there. Mm -hmm. And then at other times, I'm just like, oh, you know what? It's starting to next next month. It's going to go get cold, and I don't have a good coat. Let me let me go online and peruse and see what they have, and 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 buy something there. And so, depending on what my behavior is, I might utilize any of those channels. But it's amazing how the companies that I shop at miss they miss that interaction. You know, they don't mm -hmm. realize that I just went to the store, and then they send me an email that says, "We miss you." <laughs> <laughs> well, what are, you, what are you talking about? I was in there yesterday. <laughs> and it's leveraging those insights that are going to allow retailers to stay relevant. Yeah. Um, so getting back to Alan Edmonds, I had a real story where, um, you know, you're looking at me across the room. I'm not a fashionista, but I do like <laughs> nice clothes. Um, so I happened to go buy a pair of Alan Edmonds shoes while out of, out of town and um, got a nice pair of uh, brown shoes. Um, kind of spiffy, you know, kind of the, nice. the golden brown. Yeah. Uh, felt great. Great to walk around in and all that. Um, so I wore those, uh, for about a week and then, um, my, my better half said, Bob, you know, you really need to have 
a brown belt that goes with the brown shoes. <laughs> Not a black belt. Yeah. And so I'm getting What's back. What's under the jacket? <laughs> Nobody noticed. I'm getting back to my uh, sartorial vocabulary and, and missing a bit beat here because I didn't realize that a black belt with brown shoes really wasn't cutting it. So I went to the website and lo and behold, I was able to find a matching brown belt for the brown shoes. Right. Now, luckily, I had someone tell me that I needed to do that. But wouldn't it have been great if the shoe manufacturer actually said, yeah, you went to this retail location. Now let's say, what, what are you likely going to realize you're going to need in the next 10 days? Oh, right? that's and, and that 10-day time frame was really the period. I wouldn't have known it within yeah. two days. Um, and if it was two months or two years, I probably wouldn't have cared, right? But it was that 10-day time frame where I realized, yeah, I really needed to have a matching belt. And that offer presented at that time would have had the highest likelihood of acquiring a new customer and a new purchase. That's a, And it's a great example because I'm guessing that the related products as you if you bought those shoes online would have been more brown shoes no absolutely right and not a and not about the shoes right now i need a belt but the customer behavior over time analyzing that belt would have popped up absolutely absolutely so those are the types of insights that um, retailers get and again my belief is that to stay relevant in a world where we're all competing with amazon you need to use your data in order to have a leg ahead um, take it back a, a bit. So, so obviously CRM was the, you know, scream and cry for the last, mm. you know, probably 10 years now. Um, what do you see as the big, you know, uh, differences as far as implementing a CRM versus a CDP? What do you mm-hmm. see the differences as? Well, if you think about how CRM was born, um, it was born as a way to keep your sales force aware of things that were going on with your customers so that they could sell you something. Yeah. And so a lot of time it was a set of transactions that occurred about your communication to your customer via your sales force. And it was very much a, a unidimensional, okay, I called on this company and here's what I spoke to them about or here's what I tried to get them to buy. Um, here's another transaction with that customer that allowed me to track. Maybe they requested service and I provided that service. Or maybe I sold them something and we tracked that record as well. Um, but it was built from the grounds up back in the 2000s. That's when the CRM wave started. Right. And it wasn't necessarily thought of as to have multiple different channels of outbound communication. It was more for tracking the communication by sales reps, customer service individuals, and others that worked with customers yeah. in a single space so you could get at it. But this is a different problem. Now marketers are saying, you know what? I don't need a place for people to type in the fact that they called a customer or answered a question. What I need to figure out are all the middle-aged men who bought a, sh- a pair of shoes in New York in May that in June need a brown belt. Yeah. And so I need to get all that data. I need to segment that data and then get out to them a variety of different messages and different channels so that they're, imp- they're likely to take an action. And that's a very different use case than simply give me every record and every communication that I've had with a customer. So it's an evolution. In fact, you know, a lot of times CDPs will have interfaces to CRM systems. Sure. Um, that's a very common use case. Uh, you pull that information in as yet another source of data in addition to any digital marketing tools you have or point of sale systems or, or the like. All right. It's great. I, that's a... That's a really great explanation of the nuance and the difference between them. Um, I always tell people, you know, CRM, 
the 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 uh, the negative side of me is that you know CRMs came about because people would lose their salespeople and mm-hmm. hate to lose the customer with them, right. right? Right. You know, so it was a way for companies to really maintain mm-hmm. what that relationship was with that customer, so that a new sales rep could come in and there could be a handoff and the knowledge was there, you know, for them to to take care of it. But but to your point. Uh, being a guy that has integrated Salesforce a, a thousand times and a, uh, probably a dozen other CRMs, is it's not easy. It's right? not easy. It, it wasn't yeah. built to bolt on anything to. And if you think about it, it, it was built in the day when IT controlled data. Right. So it was very much an IT-oriented system, and they provided access to who? Users. Yeah. Yeah. There's only two domains that I know of users. One is drugs, and one's computer software. Right? <laughs> so we provided users access to this data, um, and it tracked the relationship, as you, as you indicated. Yeah. Um, a customer data platform is different in that it tracks not the relationship, meaning the customer relationship with your sales rep, but it tracks all the data with really your customer. Really the journey associated with that. And customer. on a platform. Yeah. And the word platform is important because that implies accessibility to the rest of your ecosystem. Right. You know, a platform is something that can be plugged in with a variety of different tools. Right. CRM, typically not so much, right? But CDPs, by definition, should be accessible by other types of systems. Yeah. They're really the center of the hub. They should be. Yeah, absolutely. Who? Uh, so if, if you're at a company and you're struggling, you're, mm-hmm. you're struggling to move data and bolt in you know, other solutions for communication and marketing, um, what is, who manages the CDP? What, is, mm-hmm. what does this person look like? Well, if you're buying a CDP that is relevant to marketing, it should be usable by the marketer. So by definition, the marketing person should have control of the CDP. They should be able to define the relationships in a CDP. They should be able to pull together new types of nuances and uh, connections of data with their own interface. They shouldn't have to use SQL. They shouldn't have to write a program. They should be able to drag and drop information. It should be defined and used by the marketer. And that's a classic definition. um, And really, it's why our customers are excited, because it gives power back to the marketer without having to go to an IT person and say, can you please cut me this list and write me the SQL program that shows me everybody that's bought the brown shoes in May in New York City, you know, which then takes them a week, right? Yep. They want to be able to go and just immediately access a system to pull that data together and be able to do that type of analysis. You know, it goes back to uh, the majority of failures that I see with any software as a service adoption, right? Mm-hmm. Is and, and I'm not knocking Gardner and Forrester, but, you know, people look at that report and say, well, we'll pick the one in the top right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, and this is constantly what they do, but but they don't analyze that solution to see whether it fits their process internal. Mm-hmm. You know, and so what you're talking about that is intriguing to me is okay, the marketer can decide, you know, uh, come up with creative solutions to you know to speak to a specific problem that they see in the data, but now they can go actually do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas what I see often is with uh, even with CRM, and I'm not knocking CRM; it's a it's a important uh, tool as well to every organization. But what I see more often than not is people having to adjust their process mm-hmm. to fit the software, mm-hmm. and that's when you get huge failure rates. Mm-hmm. You know, right? You get a sales team that just doesn't want to enter data. You get reports that are kind of what you need, but not really. And you, you know, you have all of these allowances and error ratios that you have to account for because you're a slave to that system. Mm-hmm. You know, and so what you're describing is you know, uh, Nirvana for, 
for marketers, right? And that's that all the data is accessible to both analyze and to execute on, you know, and now your marketer can spend time thinking of creative ways to utilize it rather than how do I make something kind of work? You know, you make a, a real interesting observation, Doug, and that is marketers think and work differently. If you think about it, they're very different than engineers. And I'm, I'm an engineer, right? So I can I can make fun of myself, right? I mean, I think very in a very organized way. I think about process. I yes. think about rows and columns and structure. Marketers don't not so much, right? You know? and, they, and they shouldn't. No, they right? shouldn't. They, they yeah. think creatively. They're right brain. They, they think about new ideas. Right. Their process is let's try something out, and if that fails, we're going to try something else, and then we're going to try something else, and let's iteratively and agilely try out new ideas and see what's sticking, what's responding. So when it comes to computing systems. They want a system that has a very flexible process that's visually intuitive that allows them to be able to experiment on the fly. Perfect. And unless they have that capability, they're going to abhor exactly. a structured computer application. Yeah. yeah. They need something that's very much a, a drag and drop, WYSIWYG. Hey, I want to see what happens when I do this and what's the impact going to be. Boom. I want to do that and make it happen that day. And that's the speed of marketing. That's awesome. Um, now we're going to get into, I love telling, uh, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, we always go this direction anyways. But the first thing is, um, we know you're a CDP, quick pivot. Mm -hmm. w one, what key elements should be people be shopping for with a CDP? And, and maybe talk about what's in common with most. Mm -hmm. And then let's talk about what differentiates your solution from, from the others in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Um, so package software, uh, you want to have a package that allows you to be able to perform many of the functions of refining data, uh, collecting it, cleansing it, organizing it in a way that's easily accessible, the ability to deliver that data via a variety of different channels, the ability to analyze that data, uh, and the ability to connect to the ecosystem of all the other consumers of that information. That's awesome. So those are all really kind of the key constituent parts and pieces that define a CDP. Um, different companies will call those pieces different things, but effectively that's what they do. Now in terms of what we do, we've recognized that the CDP is a really important starting point. And visualization and analytics is also an important starting point. But what we've ascribed to is a recognition that there's something much more powerful inherent in that data. And that is not just the insights you can get visually, but what if you used machine learning on that data? You know, artificial intelligence really gets smart when you have enough data Absolutely. that you can define and derive trends from that data. So one of our key distinguishing advantages is we're a smart CDP. We use our machine learning capability, we call it ADA, A-D-A, and I'll explain that in a minute, to be able to find new insights from that data, to be able to allow you to be a better marketer, to predict things that maybe you can't see initially. That's incredible. Now, I have to tell a side story, because it's my favorite story, because I came up with it. It's, <laughs> Ada is actually a real person. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Ada Lovelace was born in the early 1800s. She was the first computer programmer, and uh, a female computer programmer. Uh, she worked on Charles... Which was actually really common, right? Back then. Up until, I think, the 60s or 70s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So she was, yeah, I mean, she was the very first in the early 1800s. She had uh, worked with Charles Babbage on the analytical engine. She was also the daughter of Lord Byron. Wow. So if you look at her website, you'll actually see a pictogram of Ada Lovelace, and uh, we chose to use her uh, as the inspiration Paying behind homage. our name. Yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah, kind of a cool story. Yeah, that's incredible. And and I, I think, um, you know, AI is one of those things that some marketers roll 
you know, roll their eyes in the back of their head. They think it's a buzz term and everything else. Um, but, you know, think about it. Uh, this is the way I look at it is that you can only come up with, you know, a, a finite amount of scenarios if you're a marketer to test your assumptions with. Mm-hmm. And what AI really and, and machine learning, you know, they allow the opportunity to, you know, really roll out infinite, you know, possibilities mm-hmm. and then retrain themselves and adjust themselves for, you know, to optimize themselves. Mm-hmm. And and I think that a lot of marketers are, are, are maybe underestimating the vast, vast opportunity with this. And a, a perfect one, I'm guessing, uh, with QuickPoint is customer journeys, right? Mm-hmm. Is that if you, if you go to a, a typical system nowadays, let's say a marketing automation system, um, your first step is plug in your customer journeys, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's and what marketers sit there with a blank stare. Yeah. What is my customer journey? Right. What's the persona that defines that journey? Exactly. And what, what, do, how do I know what step three in the journey is going to be? Right. And, and so imagine, imagine the opportunity now to put algorithms in front of that and literally test that data over and over and over with algorithms to identify Hey, here's your three or six or twelve, mm-hmm. you know, customer journeys that are most common. Mm-hmm. Here's the trigger points for them. Here's when you should communicate with them. Mm-hmm. And I and again, I, I look look at this that uh, marketers really need to start thinking about this that these are opportunities that are going to unleash their creativity mm-hmm. because now it's going to paint half the picture for them. And now they can use their creativity to decide what that other half is going to look like to test against. You know, the best analogy I can use that uh, we can all relate to is Google Maps or for that matter, any mapping system. You know, before we had the capability to understand the distance between any two cities and to represent geography numerically, going from point A to point B, you had to have a physical map and kind of guess how long it would take for us to get from place to place. But by having that capability now built in computers, it can automatically tell us the shortest route. Similarly... A journey, a customer journey, is just like a route on a map. Absolutely. Going from A to B to C to D to E. But right now, we expect our customers or our users to be able to figure out what that journey is. If we use our computers in the same way we use Google Maps to say, you know, for going from A to B is your shortest route, and then go from B to C is your shortest route, and C to D, it can automatically tell you the journey by doing the analytics across a wide variety of data. And all you got to worry about is putting signs along the way. That's exactly right. <laughs> Burma shave. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Uh, Bob, how do people engage with Quick Pivot? Is it a sign up for a demo with your, your team or give you a call? Or um, Yeah, we do answer the phones. So telephone calls work. Uh, we have a variety of different contacts. Well, that's we, a uh, differentiator in the software <laughs> as a service industry. It, it can be. <laughs> uh, but we do have white paper downloads. We have uh, the capability to get demos. We have the capability to engage with us uh, in person, if you like. Yeah. Um, we work at whatever rate you want to work, right? And we understand it's journey, it's learning. Uh, we have webinars that, that talk about it. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll work with you digitally or, uh, or in person as whatever preference you have. And are you working with clients uh, nationally and internationally? We are. Um, so, uh, for example, we work with uh, IKEA. Uh, through a partner, uh, but we power, if you go to an IKEA kiosk, for example, and you sign up on that kiosk, that actually is going to a customer data platform that's uh, provisioned by Quick Pivot. Um, so re- whether you're in Sweden or uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, yeah. uh, that is information that's housed and uh, served up in Quick Pivot to figure out how to best accoutrement your home. 
That's incredible. Well, uh, we will add in the show notes, obviously, direct links to how to request information, uh, as well as uh, we'll. And and you know, one of the things that we didn't talk about was your bio. How did you bio. get? How did you get where you are? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I always started in data, right? So I, I was an electrical engineer by training uh, and had worked for a defense contractor in the 80s. The very first transition from film to digital satellite imagery, Incredible. Uh, I was working on the projects to basically interpret that image. And basically what, what we were doing is we were developing software to do pattern recognition and image recognition to look for different things as these satellites were taking pictures. Uh, and so from there, I continued my career into analytics, data science, software, algorithms. Yeah. Uh, I had an opportunity to work in the MarTech space for several years uh, with a company called Aprimo. And uh, yeah. also had an opportunity to work with another company called Teradata yeah. uh, in their analytics division, you know, helping envision. Little and, company. Yeah, little company. <laughs> realize opportunities using lots of data and uh, having big benefits. So I'm a... At, since birth, I've been a data guy, and I probably always will be one. That's incredible. And I always tell people that they, when they hear electrical engineer and stuff, don't be a, don't be scared because we didn't have IT groups back then. We didn't, right? We didn't. I was a nuclear engineer <laughs> in the Navy, so that's how I got oh, started as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's incredible. Well, Bob, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming down, and and uh, let's have you back here soon. This is fantastic. We would certainly enjoy it, Doug, and it was a pleasure getting together. Thank you. The MarTech Interviews Podcast is recorded at DK New Media's state-of-the-art podcast studio at the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis. Subscribe at martech.zone. Sponsorships and marketing services are available through dknewmedia.com.